Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. How do you do multiple things? And I think... It's really that if you have the will to do it, you will find a way to do it. So it just matters how much do you actually want to make it happen. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company Nalta and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. LinkedIn presents... Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating incredible women in tech from around the world. My name is Catherine Roan, and I have the privilege of guest hosting this episode. With me today is Nicole from Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you for being here. Hey, Catherine. Thank you for having me on. Oh, for sure. So excited. I guess to, to start off, how about I leave the intros to you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to. Um, well, I'm Nicole. I am currently co-founder and CEO of Travis. Um, I guess a little bit about Travis is that our platform enables creators to earn from their travel recommendations. And our mission here is really to enable a new generation of creators to be able to earn through travel. If you want to hear, I guess, a little bit about my history, um, this is this is you know something that has evolved over time. My background definitely starts from me being a creator um, years ago. You know, in the earlier days of social media, so much more in the fashion, lifestyle, and travel side of things. And this is where I got firsthand experience at just the changing, um, I guess, nature and role that creators were playing across all industries. And then also, I have managed countless influencer campaigns from a brand perspective and also used to work as a strategy and innovation consultant at Deloitte Digital, um, very much focused on the tourism space as well. So as you can imagine, all of that, I guess, experience from a travel, travel industry um, and creative perspective has definitely come together in what we're building at Travis and our mission at Travis. That's so interesting. And I, I love that there's that creative element and that creative theme runs through really well throughout everything that you've been doing and related to tech. What about the creative side of you that isn't just sort of social media? I hear that you're a, you're quite and uh, a musician. Uh, yeah. So that is um, another part of my life and definitely a huge part of my life. I did actually do a bachelor of music at university. So um, specializing in piano performance. It's, it's something that is very much part of my identity. I've been playing the piano since I was four. Um, and to be, um, you know, trained in classical music, classical piano performance at a high level, 
was definitely something that was my life um, about 10 years ago. And that was something that I, I did at university. That was something my partner actually also did at university, um, specializing on the violin. Out of our, out of my undergrad, I actually went into doing um, a marketing postgrad degree. Hang on. So can I just pause you there? How does that even happen? So you've been doing piano all your life. So you're like this grandmaster pianist. And then you you do music at uni and then you just drop the line of like, oh, and then I just like did social media afterwards, like marketing, well, sorry, afterwards. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was probably where I, I realized that you can do multiple things with your life and that your identity can be made up of different parts of it, right? And while music is and was like all of my life, especially at university, it was actually also then that I started um, blogging. Actually, um, it was my creative outlet. I started to explore the world of social, social media, and I was very inquisitive about um, how brands were interacting with consumers and how influencers started to play a role within that. Um, so, I did have that dual interest, and for me, deciding, you know, after finishing university in, in piano performance, it was just a question of it, it was a hard decision of do I con- how how do I continue with what I love being music versus do I continue you know or take formal studies in something else entirely which which was marketing but I had already built up you know experience and and interest in that area but you're right it, it is a switch and it's not necessarily a normal switch that that you know most people would make as well but it was exactly. Um, it was exactly then of me, you know, deciding to focus my postgrad studies on marketing that I actually did something for myself with music. And so my partner and I um, basically started our first business at that point in time while doing university postgrad and then even while we started our first jobs. And that um, first business was called Anon. Um, that was a music and design studio, basically, that um, was where we we performed, we put on events that aim to change up the experience of what the classical music experience was like by collaborating with, um, you know, filmmakers, photographers, designers. And it was incredible experience for us because we were working with the biggest and biggest festivals and venues in Australia and even, you know, um, were invited to speak at TEDx in Washington, D.C., which, again, was something that we could never have planned for, but an amazing experience to have had. That's crazy. And so, I mean, you're really downplaying, you know, the, the first venture that you had with you, you and Tom, I guess, with before Travis when you were doing your musical career. Like you guys were performing in, in big places, you know, and, and t- tell me about that. What's it like sort of being in the business? Because obviously you guys are the stars of the business, right, being the performers, but you're also working on the business at the same time from a creative perspective and then trying to have those collabs. What was it like? So it started out very much for us as a platform for ourselves to perform because we figured out um, that, you know, outside of uni, you know, there's no grad jobs when you, you come out of uni. It's not like you apply for a grad program at Deloitte, for example, and then it's a path for you, right? So we very quickly figured out that if we wanted to perform, we needed to do something for ourselves. So we started doing that. And then our perspective was, you know, it was classical music. Um, it's not uncommon to go to a performance at a concert hall and feel like you're the youngest one in the crowd there within a sea of people who are over 60s. And that might be a stereotype, that might be a generalization, but it's definitely um, not untrue. So we wanted to create events where our friends 
who might not have been closely or deeply um, educated at the highest levels of classical music were still able to enjoy the musical experience and take something away from it. Um, and, you know, because Tom and I are both curious people who also love, you know, what the experience was like. So basically we were like, how can we change up the experience? How can we present this in a different way so that the experience was different? And that's where we started to experiment with, you know, how do we intentionally design the experience of is it a concert is it a sit-down concert is it a you know immersive experience and how do we then with Tom's design background bring in other collaborative types as a way to um, I guess get people immersed in interacting with with the form of music so you're right in saying that while we you know uh, uh, it very much came from our expertise of music performance we were doing everything from ideation, concept development, production, um, finding filmmakers to work with, um, you know, producing the event, working with partners, marketing, and ultimately getting bums and seats, I suppose, um, at the actual live event itself. And we did that for seven years. I guess it definitely was our business, but we were doing it part-time. It definitely saw us through our postgrads. And our jobs as well. Um, and that's where Tom and I have, you know, a lot of experience of learning how to work together. And even today, the number one question that people ask us is, is it hard to work together as a couple? And we say that, you know, we've been doing, we've been working together since 2011. So that's a long time. Um, but we have learned how to work together. Um, and it's, it's, if anything, it's our strengths and it's our superpower of being able to do everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so how were those first few fights for, as you were figuring <laughs> it out? <laughs> like obviously you'd have to learn each other's groove, not only from, you know, a relationship perspective, but also from a business perspective too because it's, you know, I, yeah, you know, different decisions and I guess a different persona comes out in different sort of situations. So how did you learn that about each other during the process of being business partners? By going through it, you know, I think we do have complementary skills. So Tom, uh, definitely, if you kind of put it together, we will say that Tom is the big ideas person, um, the vision of how it comes together. And I manage a lot more of the execution and the production of that. Definitely, you know, I think through our first number of um, arguments and fights about it, you you learn to kind of, um, I guess, rationalize where the other person's coming from, um, why they might be thinking about it that way. And um, we, we talk through those things, right, and understand that, you know, oh, hey, your perspective is valuable because you're thinking about it from this angle and, you know, maybe we can pull in elements of this and elements of this. Um, but you do have to be willing to figure that out. And I think uh, we do respect a lot of what we each bring to the table, even if they might come from opposing ends of the spectrum. And that is something that we have learned how, how to do, not just in working within ourselves or with each other, but also with every single person that we end up working with. It's always interesting, you know, people are always saying, like, don't work with family, don't work with your partner, all of that sort of stuff. But it seems to have worked really well because you guys have really put in the time to learn each other's strengths and where you lean on each other, you know, for certain things. And also I think the really important key that I can hear from you is that communication piece and how you communicate to each other about that, you know, without being like, without being offensive almost, you know, without being attacking because it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're my partner. So, like, Ugh. so yeah, that's just always been interesting. And I know, like, for for example, myself, like I worked with my sister for a little while and even that was, 
you know, trying to figure out, oh, this, I know parts of my sister, but there's, you know, there are different parts coming out now because we're business people. And then how do you find each other's strengths in that domain and lean on that? I think that's really, really cool. And so you say that um, you guys were doing this while you both had full-time jobs. So you were at Deloitte and doing a non. How did that work? How did that work? <laughs> I mean, in reality, what really happened was that we we went to work um, just as normal people did in the day, but every other kind of waking hour would be spent on and on. And so that would be, you actually have a lot of time in the evenings if you're willing to put in time between eight and midnight, for example, or, you know, I was scheduling, you know, eight to nine o'clock in the morning was going to be my hour to do something on and on. Or um, at some point we decided that, you know, it was important enough for us to commit our Sundays to it as well. So you, you do make commitments to it. And it's not something that everyone necessarily might be ready to do so. But people always ask me that. People always kind of go, how how do you do multiple things? And I think it's really that if you if you have the will to do it, you will find a way to do it. So it just matters how much do you actually want to make it happen. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I guess it's because yours was kind of unique in that you had to be there for a lot of the business, right? And whereas some of the narrative around like have a side hustle these days is things that you can kind of do from home. You can wake up, you can literally roll out of bed and get get on your computer and, you know, I'll just, you know, automate, I'll Zapier this and that and I'll just create zaps. But I guess for you, it was like, well, you actually had to go and perform. So you're like an athlete who also has a business and it's like, well, you have to perform and you have to run the business at the same time. Completely. And I think sometimes people almost discount, well, people might discount one side or the other, right? You know, we do have assumptions of, um, you know, aren't you really amazing at, you know, playing your instrument? So do you even need to practice? Can't you just play right away? <laughs> well, the thing is that learning something new and putting something together for a public performance still requires us to learn something new. And, and for ourselves and to rehearse as a team, uh, we do probably learn at a quicker rate, but that doesn't mean that, that no practice goes into it. So I think that's um, exactly where, you know, all the years of um, training at a high level prepares you to be able to, I guess, do things at this level. Mm -hmm. And isn't that an interesting narrative around that misconception that, oh, you're already good, so, like, why even bother? But in in reality, I think the experts are the people who actually put in more time, you know, because, as you were saying, you just want to grow and learn new things and make sure that what you're doing, you know, is at par of of where you want to be. But also, yeah, it's just like you're not resting on your laurels. No, and I think to be to be honest, I think like looking back now at my uh, musical like education and musical training, I think it's the one, the biggest um, constant thing in my life that has always had me learning something. Because every time you pick up a new piece, even if you're like, oh, that sounds nice and beautiful, you're learning something new, and that never stops. <laughs> so I think that kind of mentality and that kind of I guess frequency of learning something new has probably translated into other parts of my life as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can definitely see that thread throughout because, you know, when you're talking about starting the blog and then going, well, let's just jump into a business, let's learn about social media and how brands interact and how that became part of your work. I think that that thread is definitely a common theme throughout what you do. And so I guess you were at Deloitte for a little while and that was just prior to Travis? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So Anon in there whilst Deloitte, whilst some postgrad stuff. And then you get to this junction where you're like, oh, I think I've got an idea. 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't a light bulb moment. I can see that because it was a culmination of a lot of what you'd experienced in the industry so far. So when did you kind of get to that point where you're like, huh, this could be a thing? So I guess it relates um, a lot to perhaps the development that Tom and I went through in, in our jobs as well. You know, um, in, in my work at Deloitte, it was a lot around understanding the changing consumer behaviors, changing nature of the world, how technology was driving innovation in, across different industries, right? And a lot of my work was looking at how do we launch new products, new digital experiences, new businesses. And Tom is is a designer as well, both um, in in all aspects of the word uh, across different formats. So while he was um, you know professionally trained um, as an architect working in architectural design, he was also doing a lot of free freelance work in creative design, digital design as well. And being I guess inquisitive people and people who love travel, you get to start to see how pieces of the puzzle <laughs> start coming together and. So the, 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 I guess, you know, we always refer to one catalyst story where we were planning for a five week trip. Um, it was just the most painful experience. And I believe Tom actually does have a photo of me lying on the floor at midnight. Um, just like <laughs> I had fully given up with, you know, my laptop and my phone. I had screenshots and like I had chats and like just you know, like 40 tabs, literally like 40 tabs open on Google. And, you know, it was just a process of we want to go for this trip. But to go for this trip, um, we essentially were looking for inspiration. And, you know, I find my inspiration on, 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 on Instagram and, you know, things that other people send me. And it's what a lot of people do these days. But that's only the very, very start of the process. <laughs> Once you have that, it's kind of like the process really all breaks from there. You know, where is it on a map? You know, how do I save these 10 things from these 10 Instagram screenshots that I love into a you know, beautiful plan that I can organize and drag things around and for it to all make sense over the days. Even if I wanted to book a hot air balloon tour or a snorkeling tour or like, you know, a gallery pass or whatever a hotel, I needed to jump on, you know, 40 other tabs on Google <laughs> to, to do that research price comparison before actually making a booking. So that process really stood out to us at, at that point going like, why is it so hard? How can we make it better? And we basically started to be hyper aware about that pain point and started, you know, ideating and designing really what would um, a much more integrated experience from the point of inspiration, but more importantly, inspiration from other people to the point of actually being able to make a booking and actually plan that. What would that actually look like if it was all in one place? So, yes, you're right. While that was a light bulb moment, it wasn't the moment that we flicked the switch to kind of go, of course, that's a business and we're going to make it happen. There was probably uh, maybe like 18 months post that that we were constantly speaking to any person. You know, we would have dinner with a friend and we would ask them about their travel travel planning experiences where they sourced their information. So all of that was happening, you know, with market research and understanding the industry for about 18 months before we went, okay, like this is a big enough problem that so like enough people are telling us about us without a solution at the moment. So if we wanted to go hard at it, we needed to give it all we had. 100%. I mean, I, I listened to that and I was like, yes, I totally feel you. Because I mean, I'm very lucky that traveling has been part of me for a long time. You know, when I was younger, my, my dad worked overseas. So we had a few trips when we when I was younger. And I didn't realize that traveling wasn't a thing for, for young people at the time. So it's always been a theme in our family. So my sister travels. She's actually, 
I think she's somewhere in Europe now. I, I don't even know where she is. But I'm one of those people who are like, eh, when I get there, like I'll sort it out. I don't have this map in my head, but I think it, just because it was hard, you know, I'd search up going, okay, I'll just like remember that in my memory bank and just go, like when I get there, I'll, you know, and of course, like my memory bank sucks. And so I, <laughs> like I can totally see that that would be just so useful to have everything in the one place, you know, not just like that screenshot. It's the whole process, right? That sucks. So 18 months of you being that friend who goes, okay, tell me about, okay, what about this problem? Do you guys experience this problem? Oh, that, what about that? I love that. I love that so much. And so during that phase, were you guys building things to, to test in the market or was it more just talking to people, market research? Um, both of it. Both of it goes hand in hand for us. Um, so we very immediately get to, you know, whether it's sketches, whether it's prototypes, whether it's mock-ups, we, we love no-code tools um, and Tom basically learns every single no-code tool out there possible. So for us, it was very much um, we wanted to get to what it could look and feel like, what the experience looks like, after, and using that hand-in-hand hand with, you know, validating the problem sets that people had. Yeah, we, we had built a lot of prototypes with um, the tools that we had in front of us. Yeah. So I guess Travis being a travel orientated um, platform, obviously, and um, product, I guess the big question is enter COVID. And people are like, I can only dream of traveling now. I cannot actually do the physical traveling. How was that for you guys? Shocking um, in, a, in a nutshell. You know, you, you look back in hindsight now and you probably think different things um, than you thought at that point in time, right? You know, and at that point in time, our belief that was that um, travel was definitely going to come back again. It was just a matter of time. And when it does come back, people are still going to want a, a better way of, of traveling, right? So the pain points don't go away just because there's a pandemic. And we basically took that belief and went, this is the time for us to build, um, to stay at the forefront of understanding how consumer, um, you know, behaviors, intense motivations are remaining the same or shifting. And well, of course, you know, I, I talk about it from quite an objective viewpoint at the moment. At that point in time, it was the scariest thing, right? No one in the world knew what was happening. So for us to have made that call to continue with it was a definite leap of faith, right? And throughout that whole, um, you know, the, the whole, whether you call it one year, one year, two years, depending on where you were in the world, I think... The most amazing thing that we saw, and this leads to, you know, the role that creators play, the most amazing thing that we saw was that creators were still creating, right? While, while you couldn't for some period of time physically travel, a lot of people were relying on the travel stories and sharing, you know, stories about their, um, whether it's past travels, recent travels, places they wanted to travel, using that as almost a beacon of hope. That was obviously in the, the depths of, of COVID. Um, they then started to share a lot about their uh, local destinations. And I think even when the start of travel started, you know, in, in um, when COVID started being less of a thing, especially, you know, in the US where they started traveling a lot uh, more earlier than I think a lot of the other parts of the world, creators are playing such a big role, like being the people on the ground, 
um, for those who were traveling um, on the ground as to what the situations were like, what the experiences were like, you know, what do you have to do to be COVID safe? And observing that really shows that the role and the importance that they played to consumers, to travelers, right? And, you know, I think taking a bigger picture look, it's definitely the shift where creators for the longest time, you know, over the last 10, 15 years of social media were were, were um, only seen to play a role in the inspiration um, part of, of travel or, you know, across industries as, as well. But definitely we think that that, that view is outdated now. Um, the way we see it and what we believe is that creators are already changing not only how we discover, but also how we plan our trips, you know, the, the preferences and the decisions that we make and where we go um, and where we spend our money. And we truly believe are crucial to the industry and the tools to support them are not there. So we're unable as, you know, travelers or as the industry to really fully unlock the, the value of what creators can provide at every stage of the consumer journey. Um, so that is exactly where we are taking, um, I guess, an, a whole of ecosystem look within the travel industry and the role that creators play in being the trusted information providers to travelers and how do they fit as a whole when we design at Travis. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I'm hearing a lot these days, and I guess I've said these days very loosely, it's been a little while now, around, you know, creators now are having that power. There's a lot of um, platforms are just a lot of the industry also shifting away and giving creators the the opportunity to actually really just reap the rewards that they should have gotten instead of just being that source of inspiration. You know, they, and that plays such an important role to to the you know, end outcome of, for example, a consumer purchasing. So it's really interesting seeing this happening here. And so is that from what you were seeing there? Is that kind of what nudged? Travis in that direction because originally you were saying it was kind of like here's a way that you can kind of keep track of where you want to go in the world um, and how to get there and now you're kind of I can see an evolution where you're saying well the creators that were part of that and are inspiring you to go there they should get a piece of this pie too right is that yeah and so how how did you guys shift to kind of to make it to this point now that that pivot what we see in the long term really is um, the, an experience where travelers are able to discover, plan, and book on Travis any of your travel needs. But the difference in there is that it's all anchored in social recommendations um, by creators, right? And to get there, we are building parts of the puzzle. And so you're right. We we you know tackle one part of it, which is the consumer pain point and how we bring things together, make that experience more seamless for them, and able to share you know trip plans with other people in a collaborative way. Now we're focusing on creators because us you know through the pandemic and even in more um, recent months, we've been working with a lot of creators. And what we see when when I talk about creators, also I'm talking about micro creators. So those under 100k, those under 50k and following, um, they are the fastest growing segment. They are the biggest growing segments. But we, what we also see is that they are the ones who face the biggest barriers in earning a recurring income. So the problem is that while they are really they're increasingly trusted by travelers and the industry. There's just no systemized way for them to um, earn an income or a recurring income. You know, a huge portion of income 
creator income for for those who are making any income right now comes from brand deals. So um, through our research with 300 creators, it actually shows that 90% of this income actually comes from brand deals, but this only makes up 10% of the content. So the gap here is that, you know, when you focus only on brand deals, um, that's very one-off transactional projects. There's no longevity in that. Um, it takes a lot of time to find, to pitch, to negotiate with brands. And ultimately, there's only a finite number of you know, influences that brands can work with. So with such a huge amount of their, their content not actually being monetized at the moment, that's exactly the opportunity that, that Travis will be providing a solution for because, you know, that content is still relevant. It's still helping influence people's decisions. And, you know, for, for brands, it's a way of reaching new consumers at scale through the niche communities that each of these creators have. So all that comes together is how we're, we're enabling creators to, to earn from their travel recommendations. And one thing that we're starting with first is the category of hotels and enabling creators to essentially create bookable links for hotels that they've stayed at, enabling you know them to share these links on, say, their Instagram stories of a hotel room walkthrough, for example, and um, for their followers at that point of inspiration to be able to then click through, um, have the option to make a booking if they want to. But even if they're not ready to make that booking, they're able to save it, you know, save the hotel and Travis mood boards, continue their planning journey by saving other places that they want to visit. And then at a later time when they're ready to book, come back to book. Awesome. Sorry, I'm just like wrapping my head around that whole process. I mean, I when I checked the Travis website, I was like, Oh my god, this looks amazing. It looks amazing. So I mean, if 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 you are somebody who is interested, you know, in the travel space, definitely check out um Travis's website. It looks schmick. And I guess that makes sense, right? Especially because it if it's so visual, you know, deciding where you want to travel, right? It's such a visual thing. It's like that looks, you know, that sunset looks nice, that water looks nice. So no, that's really awesome and thank you for sharing that and and the vision of Travis. And so I guess we did touch upon something that was difficult for you. And one of that was COVID <laughs> hitting right at the brink of when you guys were like on the way up, right? What is there another challenge that you can think of that you faced that kind of really hit you and that you had to overcome to get to the point where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I can come from multiple angles to this. I think one thing, if you, you know, purely go from a, a startup or a founder perspective, I think this journey has definitely been it's been a tough journey. And I think, you know, we, we've spoken about this before. There's a lot about the found, founder journey that people don't understand or, um, you know, don't talk about. Um, and, the, you know, I think one of the, uh, I guess, one of the hardest things um, is to just keep going and to be able to make the decisions that you need to um, at whatever point in time with the probably limited amount of information <laughs> and resources that you have to just keep going. The biggest thing we've had to, and I say we being Tom and I, have had to, I guess, learn how to overcome in, in our founder journeys is to, I guess, to back ourselves. You know, a lot of things you're you know, I think in, in a startup, you're trying to build something which is a vision for the future that either does not exist yet or is on its way to being proven. And so that is a future that we have to um, not just be able to conceive in our heads, but be able to communicate outwardly, you know, share our vision 
for the future of what we call creator-led commerce and travel with with other people, and and that takes that takes time. That takes you know the the the, the need for us to balance psychologically. How do we balance you know the the fifty things that could go wrong, which is easily what people um, might say to poke holes at it. Right, uh, with and, and balance that with the potential vision because we can see all the driving forces shaping it that way. Mm, interesting. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it is something that it's known within the founder community, right? That you're constantly being faced with those just so many decisions that you have to make, and any of any one of those have different levels of impact in the company now, but also in the company moving forward, as you said, towards the vision of the company and balancing that. I think is such a difficult act because, you know, at the start you're like, I just, I need customers. <laughs> when you're like, hang on a second, does that decision then influence the long term where it's like this is the the industry and, and how I want to help shape the industry? Far out, you know, like lots of decisions and I'm, I can't imagine like your head would be exploding every day for sure. Jumping over to something a little bit more lighthearted, I've got a couple of quick fire questions for you. So anything that comes into your mind, please, the first thing that comes. So your favourite book? Harry Potter. <laughs> yes. Okay. Favorite Harry Potter book? Um, I definitely found the the last the last one um, something very captivating. I think I read that twice or three times. So yes. <laughs> oh, just the action in the last two, right? You're just like it's you know it's really PG and it's tame for the first few, and then you get the last one. You're like, oh my god. Yeah, and you so and much you action and crazy. Like you feel it. <laughs> I know. I know. And then watching it. As well, I'm like, oh, wow, you're the whole experience. Okay, that's awesome. Love the book. Uh, Favourite podcast? How I Built This. Oh, yes. And I look forward to hearing an episode with you uh, soon, I hope. Best resource for tech? Even though I know you're very no-code, no-code's totally fine. Um, Best resource for tech? I mean, I think... You know, I guess for myself as an as a non technical founder, um, I think no code is definitely changing the game. The development of no code means that that you can do so much more than no code could do even five years ago. Um, I would say, yeah, I, I mean, there's a range of no code tools that that we use, and I think that's one of the best resources um, that makes life easy, even if um, you were someone who who is able to code. Mm-hmm. Awesome, thank you. Uh, your hobby. <laughs> um, piano making new food um, oh. okay what's yes, your current re- go-to recipe <laughs> my current go-to recipe um this this favorite chagrilled seafood pasta that i make <laughs> with um parsley lemon garlic and olive oil if you need to know the details <laughs> so simple but i can imagine it just tasting so fresh right what can our community do to support you one of the things that um, would be hugely helpful for us is to be able to connect with investors who want to um, back the future of creator-led commerce in travel um, and what we actually call the creator revolution in travel. It's something that we see you know, other industries like fashion and beauty being years ahead and travel is definitely you know, immature in this in this area of creator-led commerce. So um, we are uh, ferociously pushing for it, the, the future of this, and we would love to speak with investors um, interested in this space, but also, you know, anyone else, whether you're a founder or a creative specifically, I would also love to speak with you. 
Awesome. And to speak with you, how can we connect with you? Well, to find out more about Travis, um, our website's travistravis.co, not .com, .co. Um, and there's two and, Travises in there? Yes, that's right, Travis, Travis, you're right. Um, and I am on, I am on uh, LinkedIn and Instagram as well, so whether you find my name or find Travis there, um, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Look, thank you so much for your time, Nicole, today. it's It was just so insightful just hearing the way that you're sharing with us just the the way that the industry is evolving, you know, and and how you've managed to kind of stay ahead of what's happening and then bring that into a reality. I think it's been really interesting. Like you're listening to what's happening. You're predicting what's going to happen in that industry and then going actually, yeah, you know, and that journey has just been so fascinating for me and, and you showing us, you know, how being a creative person is such an asset when it comes to being in like a tech industry which I think a lot of people are probably thinking like oh if I you know want to be in tech I've got to be some tech related or some interest in tech per se so yeah thank you so much um for sharing that and for for hanging out with us and thank you to the listeners so thank you to everyone for hanging out with us today on the women in tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more incredible women just like nicole in tech from around the world remember to go to womenintechvip.com that's womenintechvip.com and of course say hello to us on the socials at women in tech show on twitter instagram and facebook and again thank you so much for your ears and for your time until next time Have a good one. Stay safe. And we'll see you later. Bye. Hi, this is Nicole, co-founder at Travis. Travis enables a new generation of creators to be able to earn from the travel recommendations. I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.